Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. I don't know any professional athlete that's not in pain, almost on a daily basis. Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympic fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you doing? I am so excited today. I know. This was such a great interview. Oh my gosh. This is another one of those, like, you get one person that leads to another and, and all of a sudden you're talking with a multi-medalist and you're trying really hard to keep it cool. Right. Right. And I and I'm kind of proud of myself that I didn't embarrass you. I didn't embarrass me. But in my heart, know that I was going, Oh my god, this is the best day ever. And it working was. so hard to, you know, be like, Oh yes, that's very interesting. But my inner six year old was just having a great day. Yeah, it was a great day. Well, let's let's just cut right to it. Before the Olympics, we talked with figure skating mental coach Rebecca Dixon, who worked with Megan Duhamel to prep her for Pyeongchang. So naturally, we wanted to talk with Megan, too, because from her Pyeongchang results, things obviously went well, and Megan was cool enough to say yes. So we sat down with her this week and had a wonderful chat. A uh, little background, Megan and her partner Eric Radford represented Team Canada and won the Team Gold and Paris Bronze at Pyeongchang, and then that adds to their Team Silver from Sochi and two world titles. We are thrilled to have gotten the chance to talk with her, so take a listen to our conversation. Okay, so Megan Duhamel, gold medalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> Did it, does it feel the way you thought it would feel? I mean, I, a part of me feels like it happened so long ago, and a part of me feels like it happened yesterday. And I mean, it's it's an amazing achievement to to have had the success I've had, but it hasn't changed me as a person. I'm still the exact same person I was before I had any success at the Olympics or any success in, in the sport of skating. But now I just have a really nice medal that serves as a reminder to me of, of amazing moments. And that's what's special about it. 
And you have a full set. I was joking with Jill last night when we were talking. I was like, she's got a medal for every occasion. You have the silver from Sochi and now the bronze and uh, gold from Pyeongchang. So whatever yeah. outfit you're wearing, you have a medal <laughs> to match. Yeah, it's, it's really cool, actually. And it's interesting. Um, you know, I was visiting my, my sister and I have uh, two young nephews and a young niece. And I went to my nephew's school and I found it very interesting uh a lot of people like the silver better than the gold. My nephew said, oh, I, I asked him which one he wanted to wear, and he thought the silver was the prettiest one and the coolest one. He wanted to wear the silver. I said, that's so, that's, that's so nice that he, you know, he's he's not looking down on something like that. And that's the one from Sochi. Yeah. So yeah. is I think it's bigger, isn't it, physically? It's bigger, and, like, it's just a different design and a different right. shape. Uh, they're all really nice. I don't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to argue if somebody yeah, wants to I'll, give I'll them take that any up. of them, really. <laughs> so in terms of the, the experiences between Sochi and Pyeongchang, very different, both mm-hmm. skating and life-wise, would you say? Yeah, the, you know, both those Olympics that I was able to participate in had a completely different energy. I don't know if it's an energy from myself, from my partner and I, or an environmental energy, but uh, it was very different going to our first Olympics in Russia. First of all, going to Russia and going to Korea, you're going to two very different cultures. So you're going to two different environments already. And um, figure skating's tradition in Russia is so strong. So it's like, every, I felt like everything was just against us in Russia when we were there. That, that was the energy I got. It was a heavy, daunting energy where I felt defeated almost from the beginning. And then Team Canada was so successful in that team event, winning the silver, but we really thought we had a chance for gold. So the silver, in a way, felt a bit like a failure. Russia won the gold in a way that, you know, we thought that it should have been able to be won by Canada. So it it just felt like a negative experience. And everything was everything was new. So our energy was different about everything. And then we went to Korea, and everything felt calm in Pyeongchang. I felt... It was so calm and soothing. It was a supportive environment. It didn't feel like this big, daunting, heavy energy. And the audience also plays into that. In Russia, of course, we were competing against some strong Russian figure skaters. So when I went on the ice, I I almost felt like I was going on the ice in a hockey game. Figure skating audiences aren't usually very rowdy. They're usually very polite. But in Sochi, it was a rowdy audience just screaming for Russia. And it was scary. Like, it was really scary to experience. And then we got to Korea, and everybody was, you know, the audience was supportive of everybody. It wasn't rowdy. It was a calm energy. So it was was just so different. On the television, it it seemed very supportive. You know, the Korean fans just seemed very smart, really knew what they were seeing, and just wanted everybody to skate well. That's what it felt like. It felt like um, we were just in this new, especially in figure skating, Korea was just a very neutral zone to be in, and it it felt nice. (laughs) So we had spoken to Rebecca Dixon before the uh, Olympics started, and she told us a little bit about the process of of her working with you and just sort of where she put it. So how, how is that story from your side? How did you hook up with her? Well, I had been in touch with Rebecca a few years ago. She... Um, did a little bit of like an, a video interview with my partner, Eric and I, after winning our second world title in Boston. And, um, you know, we had a nice chat with her and I, I started following her on social media. And 
you know, just seeing, uh, seeing stuff from her business that she was doing and little feedback stuff. And at that point, like the work that she was doing, it's not brand new information to me. I've been involved in this sport. I've worked with sports psychologists before, but um, currently I, this season, I hadn't been working with anybody in that, in that personal type of regard with mental training. And uh, after having a really tough season last year and a really tough start to this season, I felt like I something was missing. And uh, we competed in September, yeah, in September, mid-September, at a, a local competition that was a small international, and it was terrible. And, you know, like, I, I felt like just we were at the bottom of the barrel and coming out at the the end of the tunnel at the Olympics seemed daunting and impossible. And, you know, I was just scanning through Facebook and I saw her page and I thought maybe she has some insight and she could help me refocus my mental energy. So she talked a lot about keywords and taking things element by element. And I want to know what the keyword was for the quad sol cow. Cause that <laughs> yeah. thing was amazing. We were, we worked a lot on like decompartmentalizing things and separating everything which of course I know has always been important, an important part of skating, but somewhere along the line in the last few years it's gotten lost. Like it's gotten like muffled in my head and things don't work out. And it's like, oh, like why isn't this working? And you just can't focus and separate everything. And we really, Rebecca and I really put an emphasis on doing that in my day-to-day training, which led, led Eric and I to having very, very consistent training. And the throw quad in particular was working so well every single day in training. So going into the Olympics, I was very confident with it. I was thinking the same keywords as I always do. But of course, we're two people. I need Eric focusing on on his important keywords. And if he's not in the right spot when we take off of the throw, it doesn't matter how much I put an emphasis on my keywords or how much I do the correct thing. It's not going to work. It involves both of us being correct. Leading up to the games, and in particular, while we were at the Olympics, Eric was very consistent in his placement, in the pattern of the throw, which he controls. Um, So I was feeling confident that he could do his job. I was feeling confident in what I needed to do. But then I I missed the jump leading into the throw quad sow cow, which never happens. The last time it happened was November. I've never missed it in training and having to... We literally have less than 10 seconds to get to that quad sow after. And um, I find it so interesting. I, I go back and I watch the video of the Olympics and I think I try to relive that moment. And I'm not sure how ten, less than 10 seconds later, I went around and landed a throw quad because, you know, missing that triple Lutz for most athletes would have just like unraveled them. And for some reason I missed it. And it's like, I just put it behind me. I was like, okay, next. It didn't happen. You know, it was its own moment and I was on to the next thing. And that's something that I focused on so much in my training with, with everything. You know, when you practice something so much, it becomes a habit. And the confidence I had with the throw quad definitely helped. The fact that it had been working every day in practice, of course, helps a lot. My key word would have been, it would have been, please don't die. Sometimes if someone had thrown me in a <laughs> Yep. Sometimes sometimes I feel, when we do the throw quad in particular, Eric is controlling the pattern. So I know where I need to be kind of on the circle so I can do my job. But sometimes something happens and it's not set up in the right pattern or I'm not placed like in the right direction with him. And I take off and I literally think like, 
holy beep like I'm, <laughs> I'm in the air and I know I'm going down but I'm trying to like be safe about it and um and that that's a scary thing when I'm taking off for a throw quad I know I'm not placed well but there's nothing I can do I had to still go for it and try it and that's happened a lot in my career but luckily that was not the case in Pyeongchang well it was impressive <laughs> it was very impressive now if Eric is hurt as has happened how does that work in terms of the partnering how do you get over that yeah well I mean luckily in Pyeongchang we were both very very healthy and for most of our career we have both been very healthy last season at the world championships Eric experienced pain in his back which resulted in in a diagnosis of a, a herniated disc which is a common injury um, for athletes and for skaters I myself had the same problem in 2009 um, so had an understanding of of the pain that that he was the discomfort the discomfort that that he was dealing with, but it's always hard because we were at the World Championships last year and I felt like I was in the peak of my physical and mental shape like I was ready for any challenge I wanted to be back on that world podium um, we were the defending world champions and we were practicing really well leading into the World Championships so then to get get to the 2017 World Championships. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter how great I felt. It didn't matter how great of shape I was in. The person next to me wasn't feeling as good and wasn't feeling in top physical shape. And uh, when that that happens, it throws off your game plan because I didn't have complete control. And I like to have control. And uh, I um, you do all that work and you feel so good. And then something that's out of your control is hindering your performance. And... And that's really discouraging to have to deal with for any athlete, and especially when you're an athlete on a team. Now, I know you both had various injuries over the years. How do you keep coming back from that? What makes you keep going? Well, I mean, I, I've had some pretty serious injuries that, you know, I, I haven't even blinked an eye at. I feel like I'm a professional athlete. I don't know any professional athlete that's not in pain almost on a daily basis. And, you know, there's been, there's been more severe injuries that have forced me to maybe take, take different precautions and different routes. But for the most part, they've always been something that you just dealt with and moved and pushed through. Getting treatments every single day to maintain our physical shape has been a priority the last few years, especially as we became older in the sport and pushing our bodies. Every single day I go and see a therapist Sometimes there's nothing wrong and we just work on maintaining what I have. And sometimes there is something wrong that we need to kind of dive into. But no matter what my body's been going through, I've always been focused on on the outcome and staying positive. And it was last season, I, I had a torn muscle behind my knee. And uh, then I have... <laughs> the two of us blink right. like... <laughs> <laughs> and then I have a little piece of bone that's floating around in my left foot that hurts every time I put my left foot in the ice. Um, and that was, that was all last season, the 2016, 2017 season, but it was like, okay, how do I deal with this? How do I manage this? And my sights are set on getting to the Olympics and winning that medal and having a great skate and nothing was going to take me off that path. You know, I, I've missed one day in eight years of training because of any sort of problem one day in eight years. And that was because the little um, tear behind my knee, I, I couldn't stand on my right leg one day. So I, I couldn't train that day. But other than that, it was 
always finding a way through. Like you always, that's what an athlete needs to do, right? You need to find a way through all the adversities. And um, if I would have let any of these problems hold me back, I wouldn't have been on the path to the success I had in Pyeongchang. So talking about training, a couple of listeners had asked in their words, how do you get so jacked? How do you have those beautiful arms? What's, what's the training, obviously, besides the on-skate training? Well, I mean, the, the skating training is a big part of it because as a pair skater, um, I need to lift myself. I need to hold myself in all these spins and death spirals and lifts and twists. So that is a big part into, I guess, more why my arms and my shoulders are so strong um, because I don't particularly do very much strength training. I do a lot of yoga and a lot of Pilates. Um, and maybe strength training once a week. And that's with, with resistance bands, not with weights. Because you don't want to bulk because he's throwing yeah, exactly. you into a quad. My net body naturally does bulk. And I've had to work really hard to try to keep my muscles lean. And they are, they are still bulky. But this is with all my efforts of trying to keep them lean. <laughs> what kind of support do you get from Team Canada in terms of, like, seeing uh, – some kind of physio every day or just ongoing day-to-day life support? Because famously in the U.S., we don't have – it depends on what your federation can afford to do for you. But Canada does get funded by the government a bit, yes? yes? Yeah, we do, and we're so fortunate. So my funding doesn't come from Skate Canada, which is our governing body. My funding comes from the Olympic Committee and the Canadian government. And we are given very good funding. Um, Our government has a program called a carding program. And when you're on the national team, you receive a monthly allotment of money. So every two months, we get um, a chunk of money that's supposed to be used for living expenses. By no means is this a large chunk of money, but, you know, it would would pay for my rent or my gas, groceries, you know, um, essential things like that. And then we have funding from the government in a system called Own the Podium, so the closer you are to winning an Olympic medal, the more funding you get. So in a quadrennial, so after the Sochi Olympics, the program starts all over again. We're building for four years to get that Olympic medal. So depending on where we were ranked in the world or with our points, how close we were to a podium finish, we would get more funding. And um, in this quadrennial, my partner and I were two-time world champions. So of course, we were targeted as winning a medal for Team Canada in Pyeongchang. So we were very, very fortunate to get good funding from this program with the Canadian Olympic Committee called Own the Podium. Um, They gave us uh, a chunk of money to be used for training, which covered all of our coaching and choreography and ice time fees. And we also get a chunk of money from them to be used for off-ice training purposes, such as gym training, Pilates, yoga, my physio, my massage. But that chunk of money for those treatments and gym stuff, you get a chunk and when it's used up, it's used up. And actually two weeks before the Pyeongchang Olympics, I got an email saying your funding is done. You have to pay for your, your trainer and your physio yourself. And and I had a good little laugh about that because I was like, I, I had chuckled to myself, imagining my Russian and my Chinese competitors being told two weeks before the Olympics where they have a chance to win a medal. Oh, sorry. We can't pay for your physiotherapist anymore. You know, I had I had a good laugh um, imagining that. Of course, of course, I was at a point where I just paid for my my physio and my osteopath and my gym trainer myself for those remaining two weeks. But it it did give me a little chuckle uh, to imagine, you know, the 
these more these different type of systems that they have in place in Russia and China, this would have never happened. Two weeks before you have a chance to win an Olympic medal, their government and their their federations are doing everything possible. Where I was told, oh, your funding's run out, you don't get any more treatments. Do you then feel pressure during that quadrennial to excel in order to keep getting that funding? Or are you fortunate enough to have like endorsements or deals on the side? I definitely don't have any endorsements or deals on the side. Um, you'd be surprised to know that we were two-time world champions with no sponsors. Wow. Uh, two-time world champions going into Olympics. We had no endorsement. We had no sponsor going into these games. Is that, uh, wait, is that typical in Canada? More typical in Canada than in the States. But the other top Canadian skaters all had multiple endorsements and sponsors. Oh, okay. I don't know why we were not chosen. Um, we did get a few things with the Olympic Committee. Of course, we were involved in a few, fo- like a few um, photo shoots and video shoots and stuff like that, that that paid a small amount. But in terms of like a substantial sponsorship or endorsement uh, deal, we did not have. Um, but we're lucky in figure skating. First of all, we get prize money. When we do well, we win prize money. And second of all, um, we get to do shows. Figure skating is one of the few sports where we can perform in shows and we make money by doing that. And my partner and I have been very fortunate to be invited to a lot of shows and tours. So we've been able to make a nice a nice chunk of money for that, which came in handy because last season we were not so successful. So we didn't win as much prize money. And then because we were seventh at the world championships leading into the Olympics, our own the podium money dropped because we were no longer in that position um, as we were in the previous years of winning the world championships to be targeted as medal contenders. Of course, we were still targeted, but not not to the top, top degree. I never felt pressure, I guess, to sustain that funding, but it was always nice to have it. So, you know, at the end of a season, we were like, oh, thank God that that was so good. Now, now our funding is safe for the year. I mean, now that the Olympics are over, you decided not to compete at Worlds. Your competitive career, you've said, is done. So now what? You're going to do shows. You started with Skate America. And where where is life taking you now? Yeah, I'm, we're so lucky in figure skating that when we end our competitive career, it doesn't mean that our sporting career is over. We, Eric and I look forward, hopefully, to years of shows. Of course, um, shows and tour opportunities, uh, they're, they're a little bit out of our control because we have to be invited to those type of things. So we hope that our successful results in the last few years will help us get invited for a few years. And also, I think that we put on a good show. We, we try to make entertaining programs that the crowd would like. We try to be creative, do new things. Uh, so we're hoping to, to have a nice long show career. I'm currently uh, continuing my studies. I studied holistic nutrition, and now I'm studying sports and fitness nutrition. Um, And one of my future plans is to create a wellness program for athletes that would include nutritional training, mental training, and physical training, such as proper warm-ups and proper cool-downs for athletes so that they can enjoy longevity in their career without being injured and burnt out at at a young age. This is something that I'd really, really like to do, as well as coaching. I saw on Instagram some of the tricks, which were really fun. So what... (laughs) What's the difference? Well, in shows, we have no rules. In figure skating, I guess something people don't always know is the rules that we have to follow. 
there are very specific criteria that inhibits our creativity. You know, we, we used to try to include a lot of really creative, cool little, little dance moves and lifts in our programs. And uh, we were just always told that these things were illegal and we were going to get an illegal deduction, a one point deduction for doing an illegal move. Something as silly as, um, Eric, Eric and I lifting, holding each other by our neck and kind of like swinging around with him holding my neck and me holding his neck. The rules state that in pair skating, the boy cannot swing the girl by her neck, her feet, or her arms. So it inhibited a lot of our creativity. We were only allowed three lifts in a program. So once those three lifts are done, it doesn't matter if you have more ideas, you can't do anything else. So in show skating, we're able to do really whatever we want. And we try to think of of new and fun, interesting things that the crowd might enjoy. And also we want to challenge ourselves and find ways to challenge ourselves in the sport. So for example, now in our, for our new show season, which is currently happening, we're doing a throw combination. So in, in pair skating, um, in competition, if Eric was to throw me, I can't do like more jumps after it uh, to make it a combination. It's just a throw on its own, but for shows, there's no rules. So we can do a throw, triple sow, double toe, double toe combination. And it's fun. It's different. It's something that the crowd has never seen before. So it creates excitement as well as, um, you know, moves where Eric can swing me by my legs or tip me upside down and swing me around and uh, all these type of exciting wow factors. Yeah, I saw the combination <laughs> in the, on the tape. and I was like, oh, I've never seen that. That is so cool. It's so much fun to do, actually. Yeah, and it's really different than doing a, doing a jump combination by myself because, of course, the throw has a lot more amplitude and uh, it's coming from a bigger distance and height than my own jump would. So I don't have the same flow, but it's really, really fun. And when we do it, we get excited and the crowd gets excited. And a lot of people have said like, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. And that's what we want to do. We want to do things that people have never done before. Now, talking of amplitude, there's more than a foot difference. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. I, I think Eric is six foot two or six foot three and I'm four foot four. 11. So we have a very big difference in height, which, you know, contrary to what people think it, it didn't always and doesn't always work to our benefit. First of all, we had to skate in unison. And when Eric's legs are almost, they're not twice as long, I'm exaggerating, but <laughs> when they're, they're half a length longer than mine, it's hard to have unison. We had to push with the exact same stride. But of course, my stride will be different than his stride. And when we're spinning, for example, we do a side-by-side spin. I'm going to change my positions much quicker than him because my distance I have to cover is so much less. So I had to be very careful to to take my time and spin a little bit slower so that we stayed in unison. Um, So there's been a lot of things that, that haven't worked to our advantage. But then, of course, there's been a lot of things that have worked to our advantage, such as us doing lifts. I'm... I'm almost a hundred pounds lighter than him. I'd say 90 pounds lighter than him, which makes it a lot easier for him to lift me. And um, a lot of the show moves we do where he's hanging me upside down and we do all these cool moves and shows um, me being so much smaller than him has really helped that. So death spiral, do you ever feel close to death? (laughs) No, but it's, you know, death spirals are one of our favorite things to do. Actually. They're one of the, the moves that, that I think we do very well it never feels close to death but when I had long hair my hair would sometimes like be hanging near the ice right near Eric's blade and I would almost get a haircut but uh 
No, now, that would be a cool trick. Like, like, wear a wig, slice <laughs> your hair off every night. I, I don't know where the, like where they came up with the word death spiral because it it's not really that scary, but the name I guess makes it exciting. <laughs> One last question. I, I mean, figure skating gets a ton of media coverage. Is there something that they don't talk about that you wish they did? <laughs> uh, <laughs> How much time do we have, apparently? <laughs> uh, I mean, of course, the one thing um, I wish got covered more was educating the general public on, on the judging system. You know, I, um, in 2002, we changed the judging system for skating, um, and it became a little bit more complicated. There's no such thing as a perfect score anymore. Well, there is artistically, but, you know, people's scores just keep going higher and higher every year. Whereas, it, you know, in the olden days, a 6.0 meant perfection. We, You don't really have that, that same general perfection goal and score um, anymore. Artistically, you could get a 10.0, a 10 which makes it perfection, but everything gets added together. And then the crowd at the end of the day is kind of like, whoa. What does 153 mean? And it would, I find it would be nice sometimes for the media to really break things down and explain, you know, uh, different things. And there's sometimes that I wish that they would explain when things weren't judged correctly. You know, we've seen a lot of times skaters land their jumps on two feet, but the judges award it a perfect plus three. Like a plus three is the highest grade of execution you can get. And I wish sometimes the media would say, now we can see um, which country each judge is from. So I feel like maybe bringing attention to the fact that, okay, this person just made an error, but it was judged as a cleanly executed element. And maybe if the media brought more attention to that type of stuff, the judges and officials might hold them, they might be held to a higher standard, hold themselves to a higher standard to be sure that they are doing the right the right and fair thing. Right, Sometimes because it, that was noted. It, it, it seems like they reward the attempt more than the actual execution. And I think that's a frustrating to watch. Yes. And I think that, you know, it would be interesting if, um, you know, on TV or in the news or newspapers, sometimes we see a skater fall and it, they might fall on a quad lutz, which has a very high base value. So even when they fall, they're still going to get almost 14 points, I think, or 13 or 14 points for that attempt. Whereas a triple Lutz is only going to get six points. So they're still getting almost double what a triple Lutz would get because they attempted uh, a quad Lutz, something that was so difficult. And, you know, people don't always, always know those finer details. And there's also some, some interesting other details where for Eric and I, we do that throw quad, throw quad sow cow, but we actually receive more points for our lips than we do for that throw quad sow cow. One of our lifts that to us is very simple. We go on one arm, I grab my leg, and then Eric puts me down with one arm. We get over nine points for that lift, but we only get 8.2 for doing a throw quad. So people think, oh, Megan and Eric are landing the throw quad, that's why they scored so high. But two of our lifts in our long program at the Olympics scored higher than that throw quad. So it really, the bulk of our points is not even coming from that throw quad. It's coming from other things. And this is where the complication in the system comes in. Right, because it would be interesting to see somebody just attempt quad after quad, fall on all of them, but still, like, win 
based compared to a clean program that's a little simpler. And this happens sometimes. And I think that this is something that the International Skating Union is trying to address. They don't want that. We don't want to have winning performances that are filled with errors. But right right now, currently, the system kind of allows for that. And they're they're trying to change things all the time to to make the system better. But they're they're actually I mean it's it's interesting. Like there's so many different variations of different things. Whereas in single skating, trying all these quads but still but missing them is still rewarded. But in pairs, um, when we miss our throw quad, somebody who lands a throw triple gets a lot more points than we do. So in pair skating, the quads are not rewarded in the same way that they are in single skating. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused sometimes too. <laughs> sometimes we don't understand where uh, where different things are coming from. <laughs> all right. Well, that's pretty much the, all the time we have. But you're on tour now. Where 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 all are you going? Yeah, I just got home from Japan. We did a tour for two weeks in Japan. Um, I'm leaving to do a tour in Canada um, in about one week. We're going to be doing a cross Canada tour from Halifax all the way to Vancouver. And then I finish that tour in Vancouver and go to Korea to do a tour for one week in Korea. Um, that puts me till the end of May. And then I'm, I'm back home and hopefully have some time to relax before, before we continue our shows and, and play with the dogs. Yeah. Play with the dogs <laughs> and, you know, experience like a real summer away from the rink. That'll be definitely something uh, new. <laughs> Were the audiences in Japan just crazy? Crazy. Uh, Skating is so popular in Japan. So popular. We're treated almost like rock stars. Sold out audiences. So knowledgeable. Extremely knowledgeable with skating. Um, More so single skating than than pair skating or ice dance. They they tend to, to kind of have a more popular base with the ladies and the men's skating. But still equally enthusiastic for the pairs and the ice dance. And the skating market right now in Japan is really booming, and that gives us more more opportunities. So it's amazing. Thank you so much, Megan. We really appreciate the time. So was it everything you thought it would be, Allison? She was even lovelier to talk to than than I thought she would be. <laughs> she was. She really. She really was just very warm and very sweet and very generous with all of her um, experiences, which was great. Yeah, and it was so interesting to hear how Team Canada got funded. Yes, I had, I never really thought about it. I know that's something that you think about all the time mm-hmm. when we talk to the athletes is where the money is coming from. So that was really interesting. And yeah, she's totally right that the Chinese and the Russians do not have to think about this. Yeah. And she's in an, an even better position than the American skaters who get Zippo from right. the government. right. And have to hope that they have a decent federation who will give them something. I kind of want to know what American figure skaters get from the federations. I mean, they do get invited to different events if U.S. figure skating thinks they will perform well, right? Yes, yes. So So. they get a schedule of the events leading up to the world championships. So they get assignments for Skate Canada, Skate America, Mm -hmm. and so on. They have to earn spots at Four Continents and the World Championships. Okay. But, yeah, the the idea that you've got, like, a budget, here's your here's your stipend. I know. Let's go. 
But I know, and it and it's sort of funny that the more successful you are, the more stipend you get, but also the more chance you get to earn your own money in terms of appearances. And I mean, she didn't have sponsors, but she right. probably could. Well, um, that that's also floored me that. But you know, it's. I think it's something from pair skating because we don't see a lot of pairs get sponsorship around us. But we haven't had. Well, yeah, the American pairs haven't won a medal since what did I say, '98 at the Olympics, and I don't even think they've won a world medal. It, it's certainly in the past ten years. Right. But, so, uh, but it is interesting to be so successful and yet just not get the sponsorship that say a say a, a single skater gets right I or wonder, even some of the ice dancing teams right so we should mention that we have been pronouncing her name incorrectly and that it is Duhamel and not as I've heard it for her whole career Demel so and you know how I hate pronouncing names wrong so I was upset yeah. about that she was cool. She rolls with it. She understands. She did. She was very she nice did. about it. She's like, oh, yeah, everybody pronounces my name wrong. But the funny thing was what she said was the announcer in Pyeongchang, which is where all of a sudden I heard it to Hamill, is someone she knows and was Canadian. So even the announcers at the Olympics have to get selected. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's a big deal. I didn't even think of that. So there's all these things that we didn't yep. even know. But then when we talked to the athletes, we realized there's so much behind the scenes right it's not just the athletes right that are earning their spot exactly it's the officials yes. it's the announcers it's the broadcasters it's the staff it's everything and that's just amazing that makes it even more amazing exactly exactly so you got some trivia for me i do i do so canada has a very long history of success in figure skating but when did it win its first olympic medal in figure skating. Hmm. I am just going to go ahead and say 1932 Lake Placid. You are right. Oh! Montgomery, yes, Montgomery Wilson won a bronze in men's. Nice. Good on you, that was, Montgomery. That was, yeah, that was good. And what when I was looking this up, what totally confused me was they didn't have the maple leaf flag back in those days. Oh, really? So when I was, yeah, when I was scrolling through, I was looking for, because the, the way the listings are done, they do mm -hmm. it by flags. So I was just looking for the flag, and then all of a sudden I realized, wait, they don't have the maple leaf. I'm looking for the wrong flag. Oh, now I don't want to know when they got their flag. Because, um, you know, we found out we got the national anthem in 1931. Far out. I know. Well, I'm going to go look it up. Okay. And I have a question for you. Okay. So Megan had talked about how there was controversy at Sochi with the judging and the Russians. Yes. In 2002, there was also controversy with the judging and the Russians in Paris figure skating. Do yes, there was. Do you know who ended up winning the golds? I do. Well, okay. I don't remember the name of the Russians, but it's uh, Sally and Peltier were the Canadians who had originally been awarded the silver but were upgraded to share the gold. Right. And it was... Who, uh, who were the Russians? I can see their faces, but I can't remember their names. Go ahead. I can't remember. Uh, Yelena Berezhnaya. Oh, Berezhnaya and Zigarlitsa. Yes. Oh, thank you for saying yeah. that so I didn't have to. <laughs> 
And that was the controversy that spawned the new judging, the new system. judging system. The Maple Leaf came into practice in February 1965. Far out. Yeah. Then was their old flag like uh, a derivative of the United Kingdom's? Yes. Okay. It had the Union Jack in the corner. Okay. And then another symbol, which I can't really see what it is. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. If we, for our flags podcast, we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> All right. Now, what is that? Oh, it's like a coat of arms in the corner. Oh, okay. Hmm. Huh. That's very cool. Okay, sorry. No, that's all right. And really, that's our show for today. Unless you've got something. Do you have something else? I got nothing. All right. Yeah, we talked with Megan a long time, so we wanted to share a lot of Megan with you. And uh, that was a really fun interview. We will be back here with more stories from Olympics lore. Oh, one thing that I wanted to say. We are getting into summer sports, so we would like to hear from you what summer sports we should cover first, because there are a lot of them. I uh, posted a question up on Facebook, so go there. I'll put another one on Twitter. You can also email us at info at Fever with your suggestions, and we will go exploring. We do know that we have rowing on the docket soon. We have a, a really fun connection for that, and I'm really excited to get to explore that sport a little more up close and personal. You have a look. Yeah. <laughs> Bring a life vest. I'm, I'm a little concerned. Oh, it'll be great. It'll be great. So. Yeah, I guess it would be a good story if I drowned, so. You, would not, you would not drown. <laughs> all press is good press right <laughs> but that'll be a fun topic to look into but we want to hear what you what else you want to have on next so drop us a line and let us know and we'll get to cracking on those and otherwise thank you so much for listening and we will see you back here next week Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M-Fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. That's what an athlete needs to do, right? You need to find a way through all the adversities.